You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. In the book The Ugly American, the hero is a plain-looking engineer named Homer Akins, who lives with the local people, comes to understand their needs, and gives useful assistance with small-scale projects. For children living in Africa and the international community, they are fortunate to have such a man from America. Join me at the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Mark Klein. Dr. Klein is Professor of Pediatrics at the Baylor College of Medicine and at Texas Children's Hospital. He is Chief of Retrovirology and President of the Baylor International Pediatrics AIDS Initiative. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Klein. You are President of the Baylor International Pediatric AIDS Initiative. Could you tell our audience a little bit about this program and how you became involved in it? Sure. I've been a pediatric AIDS specialist for about 20 years, and a decade ago, I think all of us in the field realized that uh, HIV-AIDS was taking a heavy toll on children in the developing world. And so the initiative that was developed at Baylor College of Medicine and Texas Children's Hospital really was designed to catalyze expanded access to care and treatment for HIV-infected children and families in some of the poorest countries around the world, particularly in Africa, which has been hit hardest. Are there any personal experiences that led you to become involved in the treatment of AIDS? Well, the initiative really was an outgrowth of a trip I made in 1996 to Romania where I saw hundreds of wasted, stunted, HIV-infected children, many of them warehoused in large orphanages. And I came home from that trip realizing that my life had changed. I really couldn't go back to doing what I was doing before. I, I felt that I had to try to have some impact on the health of those children. The trip that I made to Romania occurred at a time when highly active antiretroviral therapy had become available for children in the United States. And I think many of us who were treating children with HIV at that time in the U.S. were feeling perhaps a little bit smug. We thought we had conquered HIV. Children were being restored to health. They were living good lives. And so it was quite a shock to me to see how ill uh, children still were in Romania and other places like Romania where they didn't have access to these medications. Do you think there is hope that we may see eradication of AIDS internationally? So many other infectious diseases are being conquered. I think eradication is going to be a very difficult task. We need a vaccine, but a vaccine may be a number of years away. The drugs that we have available currently certainly um, have gotten better and better over the years. They, um, they're easier to take. They're safer, they're more effective than they were in the early days. And we are seeing people with HIV living very long and and full lives. Uh, But in terms of actually eradicating the disease, I think that's going to be a big challenge. I do think this is a time of real hope for children and families with HIV, even in the poor countries, however, because now resources are available to provide the medications and a tremendous amount of work is occurring to build capacity among health professionals to deliver care to HIV-infected children and families. So more and more children and families are accessing the same kinds of life-saving treatments that we've been using in the U.S. for more than a decade. You mentioned increasing capacity to care for children, families with HIV and AIDS. How many countries is the Baylor Pediatric Initiative operating in at this time? We currently work in Romania, in Ukraine, in China, Mexico, and about 20 countries in Africa. And we operate a network of children's centers. Currently, we have six in sub-Saharan Africa, as well as our original center, which is located in Constanza, Romania. Are these 
facilities staffed by physicians, and how do you get so many doctors to fill these posts? The centers are staffed by a variety of health professionals, including physicians. Particularly in Africa, it's been a real challenge finding doctors. As most of the listeners will be aware, there has been a tremendous exodus of physicians from Africa to the developed world. Uh, The production of physicians in Africa occurs at very small numbers. And so in many of the settings in which we work, like Lesotho and Swaziland and Malawi, you can't find physicians really at any price. And so on an interim or emergency basis, we established a program we call the Pediatric AIDS Corps, which is really an effort to recruit American physicians to work on a long-term basis in Africa to help us scale up care and treatment programs for HIV-infected children and families. In the first year of the program, we were able to recruit 52 American pediatricians, family doctors, and internal medicine specialists. And those individuals currently are working in seven countries in Africa where Baylor has a presence. How do these physicians become trained? It's obviously a very unusual experience and something that medical school doesn't prepare you for. Yeah, that's correct. It's a special challenge for any of us who have attended medical school in the United States. But all of these individuals, of course, have their primary training. So they're board eligible or board certified in pediatrics or family medicine or internal medicine. And then beyond that, uh, when we recruit these doctors, we bring them to Baylor, we put them through a month-long intensive course in tropical medicine and HIV, and then they work attached to the Baylor centers in Africa. And we have full-time faculty and staff in those centers who are very experienced and who can provide uh, backup for difficult clinical cases. But there certainly is a steep learning curve, and I think all of the all of the doctors that we have uh, sent to Africa have commented on on it being a very intense learning experience. The doctors uh, stay for a minimum of one year in Africa. Many of them, uh, most of them actually have signed on for two years or three years. So they really have an opportunity to get, you know, a very uh, real experience in the management of a variety of tropical diseases that we would rarely see in the United States. To get established in so many countries, I bet that proposes a lot of challenges. It does. uh, You know, This is another thing we're not trained to do in medical school, Um, working with governments, negotiating um, for land, for uh, with constructors to actually uh, put these buildings up, to build the infrastructure, purchasing medical equipment, um, budgeting the operations of the centers, hiring local professionals. All of these things are special challenges. I work with a very good team, of course, and call on people from a variety of disciplines. But every setting is a bit different. So when you work in Romania, it's different than Botswana, which is different than Uganda. There are all kinds of cultural determinants. The work that we do and all of that has to be taken into account as these programs are planned and implemented. Are there any challenges that stick out in your mind as, boy, we really got over the hurdle on this one? Well, bureaucracy is, I guess, the, is the one common element everywhere. Governments are pretty much the same, I guess, across the board. You know, we deal with bureaucracy on the U.S. end, and we deal with bureaucracies um, in all of the host countries. But, you know, overall, I think the overriding impression I've, I have had is that governments have been very receptive to this kind of partnership. We, we are very much committed to collaboration and partnership in all of these programs. We're working in someone else's backyard, not our own. And we feel very strongly that we should do that in partnership with the host government and with local entities. We don't want to duplicate what other people already are doing, and we don't want to compete 
with uh, programs that already are in place. And so we work very carefully in a collaborative way. Uh, and we've been received very, very well. And I think it's, it's really been very gratifying. We work well with governments in all of these settings and with a number of other partner organizations. How do you deal with the cultural challenges that you must face with each country having its own past history? Well, for one, we think that it's very important that the leadership of our centers be uh, local professionals. And so in every case, all of our centers in Africa and the center in Romania are led by local medical professionals. Uh, We establish a local foundation that is responsible for all of our activities, but that foundation also has an executive director that is a local professional. And then the staffs predominantly are local as well, so we may have some American physicians and nurses and so on working in these centers, but the majority of the staff always will be local professionals. And really our goal over time is to build local capacity to staff the centers and to do the bulk of the work. And so those individuals, because they are local, will be familiar with local culture and cultural practices and can advise us. So it's been a, it's been a bit of a challenge here and there, but I think overall um, we've, we've done very well on that front as well. We all know AIDS is associated with many, many other problems, and care is so hard to find in Africa. How do you deal with the whole patient? Our centers are primary care centers, so while they have an HIV focus, they provide primary care as well. So we give immunizations, we treat ear infections and sore throats and pretty much anything else that arises. The child is the point of entry to care in our centers, but we care for the whole family. Across Africa, in a number of places where treatment programs for HIV have been implemented, adults are being treated, but children have been therapeutically abandoned. In our centers, we have the possibility of doing exactly the reverse, providing treatment to the children and abandoning their adults, and we obviously do not want to see that happen. We want to maintain the integrity of the family unit. So the child is the point of entry, but we offer care and treatment to any infected family member. It has to be overwhelming. When the parent dies, what happens to these children? Well, the numbers really are mind-boggling. There were over half a million new HIV infections among children worldwide last year, about 380,000 deaths among children last year. So globally, while HIV-AIDS kills uh, about 4 or 5 percent of children under 5 years of age, or rather accounts for 4 or 5 percent of all child deaths in that age group, in sub-Saharan Africa, 40 to 60 percent of all child deaths are now attributed to HIV-AIDS, so it's becoming a dominant cause of mortality. And then, as you alluded, there is the additional issue of AIDS orphans. There are 15 million AIDS orphans globally already, and by 2010, there will be 20 million AIDS orphans. These are children who, in many cases, have escaped infection. They were born to HIV-infected mothers, but they did not become infected with the virus themselves. And then their parents die. And In a number of settings, uh, these children end up in orphanages, and some they end up with extended family members. But um, this poses a real uh, dilemma for governments and societies dealing with the large number of orphans uh, from AIDS. And this is going to be a bigger challenge in the years ahead as these children age into adolescence and adulthood, many of them having had little or no education and having almost no resources. I always like to end on an upbeat note. Tell us the positive impact your program has had in the countries you are 
that you were present in? Well, it's been fantastic to see children restored to health. Uh, it gets me to work every day. Uh, we have over 14,000 children now in care in our centers in Africa. These are children who until very recently were thought to have uh, a death sentence. And now we know that HIV can be treated among African children just as it is among American children with exactly the same benefits. And so I think it really is a time of hope for Africa's children and families. I think increasing numbers will be on treatment and we'll see them surviving and thriving just as American children with HIV have. There is so much to discuss and so little time. I want to thank Dr. Mark Klein, who I have been privileged to have as my guest. We have been discussing AIDS in the pediatric population. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.